ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third episode of the Shea Station podcast, the newest Mets podcast from John Boy Media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jolly Olive. You might also know me as Jack, and sitting with me is former left-handed pitcher in the major leagues for the New York Mets and various other teams, Jerry Blevins. Jerry, how was your weekend before we talk about anything Mets-related? I hope you had a good weekend. I did. I did. Thanks for having me. Um... The weekend was good. My my niece turned nine. We had a big party at my brother's house. It was lovely. Very nice. That sounds nice and wholesome compared to what happened on the ball field. I had a pretty <laughs> good weekend too. What what'd you get into? Yeah, my uh, my girlfriend was uh she had to go on a cross country road trip to Iowa to pick up her friend. Uh, she just missed the Field of Dreams game, which she wasn't going to go to, but I told her that anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't get to see her for uh, a week or so, so she came back this weekend. We got to spend some time together. That was awesome. Uh, and yeah, it, w- it was great outside of, you know, what was going on at City Field, which, you know, we were all excited about last time out, and now not so much. A little bit more deflated. A little bit deflated, but there are, there are, they played good baseball for the most part. And so there are things, bright spots to look forward to. There's still some glaring holes in what they did, but ultimately they showed some fight. So, uh, you know, I'll be as optimistic as possible in in my viewpoint, but there's some, there's some issues and and they're being magnified in this tough, tough stretch of schedule. So, yeah, this was probably the best team we played all season, Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, And, there were a lot of, I, I, I talked a little bit last episode about momentum being built in that national series. And while that applied to some players, it, it kind of seemed like it's get it off the tracks almost completely after that first game. Uh, we're going to cover all three games of what happened in the Dodgers series. Uh, I'm going to take us to game one real quick. This was probably the, the toughest one to, to swallow, I think. Uh, the Mets dropped game one, six to five, but it was quite the story outside of the final score. I wanted to talk positively about Tyler McGill for a second because, man, oh, man, that first inning where he threw, like, I think 30 pitches, I was bracing myself for a three-inning outing where he kind of got roughed up for the first time. But McGill really, you know, he muscled his way through this outing is the way I like to put it. He, he only went five innings, and he, he allowed three earned runs. But against this, like, really potent lineup, this loaded lineup with a bunch of weapons, uh, it was really impressive. This was only his 10th career Major League start. Uh, McGill got us through five, handed it off to the bullpen, which, you know, it's not – ideal but considering McGill uh, McGill's young career and you know what he's shown us in the past this was definitely a, a tall ask for him I think he fulfilled the bill there um but the the story uh for a lot of Mets fans and myself included that uh, everyone found peculiar was the lineup that Louis Rojas put out uh for the uh, black jersey game uh instead of going with some of his starters like Dom Smith Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto he runs out Brendan Jury at second base Albert Almora and uh Kevin Pillar and uh, the offense goes quiet uh, with those guys in the lineup. Those guys uh, combined went 0 for 7 with a walk, and the offense had no runs while they were in the game. But as soon as the starters got into it, uh, the key point being Michael Conforto, who kick-started a rally in the seventh with a double, that's when the offense sort of woke up. We got a four-run seventh that tied the game at four. Um, and after uh, back-to-back strikeouts, uh, let's see here, the Mets pieced together three hits and three walks that tied the game. So it was all consecutive. It was a big rally. The stadium was loud uh, from what I heard from the people that were there. Uh, shout out to my buddies that were at that Friday night game. And Edwin Diaz had uh, maybe his weirdest inning of the year. Uh, he uh, allowed one runner and got two outs there, and he was facing off against Max Muncy when a laser pointer from the crowd uh, appeared on screen. The SNY had a great freeze frame of it uh, beaming on uh, Max Muncy's face. We also got to see it beam on Edwin Diaz's face later, so it wasn't even a Met fan doing it. It was just a, 
a guy or a girl or whoever shining it just to mess up the players, which is not very uh, not ideal. Not ideal. You don't want to see that. No, that's that's to me again. That's a that's a criminal offense, man. Not only yeah. are you messing with you know tens of thousands of people's night by trying to slow the game down and whatnot. You know, Max Muncy and Edwin Diaz, they live off their eyesight as well. And so you're you're messing with some some issues. Uh, if that was you, you know, shame on you. I hope I hope justice is served in some form or fashion. So I don't know how you find that person. Our our, our guy John Boy did a great breakdown of that. So if you haven't checked that I out, look that. that up on YouTube. That was pretty good. We got a little plug at the end of that. I appreciate it. There that. we go. I love it. Little little love between company company men. So uh, after that whole fiasco, Diaz ended up striking out Muncie on three pitches. Uh, so that was a that was a fun ninth inning, and it was a non-save situation for Diaz, which was huge. Uh, we had talked about that a little bit. That before. was huge. I, I, he he pitched. That was his. That was a tough outing. He really showed some grit, some you know, his real nastiness in, in that situation. I was a little bit worried because it was a non-save situation, but that's something that your closer comes into a game like that. Yeah, uh, you needed that inning, and and he gave it. It was a big momentum kind of push towards uh, the next inning. Yeah, and it really felt like you know the Mets were controlling their own fate in this game. Uh, and then it was just an- – we're going to talk a little bit about Luis Rojas' uh, dis- decisions during this series, but it was another peculiar one. He had Aaron Loop warmed up and ready to go, uh, but he instead opted for Jerry's Familia for a third straight day uh, in the 10th inning. Familia gave up a two-run bomb to Will Smith, uh, and that put the Dodgers up 6-4. to four. Rojas claimed this was a righty-righty situation, but uh, Will Smith is a reverse splits hitter, so there are some questions to be raised there. We'll get into that a little bit later. The Mets would get one back uh, in the bottom of the 10th, but ultimately they would fall 6-5. to five. This really, really felt like the game they needed to take because of the matchups that came in Game 2 and Game 3 because what happened uh, in Game 2, I'm going to let you expand on here. Yeah, I just want to highlight, you You mentioned it before, Tyler McGill showed some true grit. He showed, you know, that's easy for a guy to fold, let alone a rookie. Um, against that lineup he threw so many pitches in the first but he's he's impressed me so much this year um, with just his ability to keep going but that put us into game two uh, it was the battle of all-star pitchers we had Walker Bueller chasing the the Cy Young and really really shining uh, and we had Taiwan Walker looking to build off of what has been a really rough start to the second half for him and he started the last couple of starts you and I talked about it. He started to look better and, and to really kind of iron out some of those problems. And he did. It was a battle. It was it was as good on TV or even better than than what we could have hoped. Um, Walker Bueller pitched great. Seven gave up one earned run. Um, and that was a huge Michael Conforto bottom of the fourth. The first hit of the game from either team, yeah, put it into the right field stands, well, into the bullpen anyway. Billy McKinney almost got that ball. Could you believe that? He almost got. Oh my! It. I mean, it was it was pretty impressive. I thought he got it from the from the home plate view, and then they showed it. My favorite thing, uh, you get to see Trevor May over there with a good fist pump when he's in <laughs> he's inside. I was like, yeah, he was pumped, but that was huge, and it was great for Conforto to to, to jump out. That's what you have to do against aces like that. You have to get you know, the, the big hit and Conforto did that. Uh, Bueller or uh, Taiwan Walker looked great, took a no hitter going into the seventh, you know, after sixth is when it really starts to be real. It's when it gets serious. Will Smith, the, the anti-hero in game one, did it again in game two. He broke up the no hitter with us with a solo home run. Um, and that kind of ended Taiwan Walker's night. It, it didn't though, because he ended up with leaving with runners on and two outs 
and Aaron Loop does what he does. He came in, got a huge out. It's an Aaron Loop pod, baby. He does, man. He's so good, and he's so clutch. And he came in and got a huge strikeout with runners in scoring position, uh, kept the Mets in the ball game. Uh, ultimately, it came down to runners in scoring position, and the Mets did not do that. Um, not only do they not really do anything, they went 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position, but the big one was the last three. Went into extra innings. The Dodgers put a put a run on Yenzi Diaz. He pitched great, but you know you start with the runner on second base and you expect that one to score. Um, and the Mets went over three in the bottom of the tenth to to end it. They lose two to one, and those were two games that that hurt going into the last game because you got to face off against Scherzer. And so Conforto with the big hit, but Taiwan Walker looked phenomenal. Um, and we looked to, to, to keep that pushing. So that moved us into Sunday. And what do you got for, for game three? Yeah, I just want to say, yeah, two gut-wrenching losses. And I would mentioned that game one was the one to take, but also you got to look at it in game two. Uh, the Dodgers didn't have their top bullpen guys because all those guys got burned in game one and the game they had played before. So they went to, you know, a couple of rookies. They went to Corey Kniebel, you know, good relievers, but these were guys that the Mets could have capitalized on. Should have, should have. Should have, I should say, honestly. Once you get through their their top end starters, you know, we'll see it going forward. I don't want to get too far ahead, but the Giants are in reverse. You got to get to their starters because their bullpen is so good. Right. Uh, for the Dodgers, you have to get to their bullpen because their starters are so good, especially their secondary pitchers, which we didn't do. We we didn't do it at all. Yeah. Um, and we lost two two kind of heartbreak one run games. Yeah. Bueller made pretty much one mistake all night that I saw, and Conforto luckily capitalized on it. But yeah, wasn't enough. One run is not ever going to beat the Dodgers. I don't think they've had a one to nothing loss this year. I would. I don't have the stats to back that up, but. <laughs> I'll take the field on that. Yeah, one. I was gonna say probably did lose by one, <laughs> one nothing. But uh, the complete air of deflation really leaked into uh, the Sunday night game, which uh, unfortunately was an ESPN game on a national broadcast. Uh, I don't think the Mets really appreciated that. Uh, their their time got bumped back. They don't have a day off the next day, so they took the red eye right after this. They got trounced. Fourteen to four was your final in Game Three. Carlos Carrasco. This we talked about this being a big proving start for him, but it just did not come together. Six runs in two innings. It was another three home runs off him. Another first inning home run, too. The third time that's happened to him in four starts. Will Smith again, man. He's This is the quickest ascension to Mets killer I think I've ever seen out of an opposing hitter. Will Smith was really killing us this series. Max Muncie, too, but Will Smith is the one I remember. Will Smith is the one that hurts because you expect Muncie to do his thing because he's one of the most, oh, yeah. he's one of the best hitters in the game. And Will Smith has emerged as a, the other guy yeah. you know we didn't have to deal with justin turner too much except for game three he ended up getting us yeah except for he ended up getting us but he was you know coming off an injury and he only used it for a pinch hit and made the sunday start but will smith will smith man not the actor we love the actor and even the braves relief pitcher you know i like him too but hey he's a lefty i dig it we did have some positives from game three somehow some way uh, how about jake reed coming in relief for carlos carrasco he gave us three shutout innings Struck out three, allowed two hits against the Dodgers. His slider looked nasty. I got this from Michael Mayer on Twitter. Had a 40% whiff rate against the Dodgers, which is a, a tall task there. So good on Jake Reed and his slider. Hopefully, maybe we'll see more of him now. That was sort of a uh, proving out of him, his first as a Met. And it came against the team that, you know, let him go. So that was pretty cool. That was it, you know, to be able to, to, to you know, hold up a middle finger to your <laughs> old team that said you weren't good enough. I mean, it's a chip on your shoulder. And so... That was that was big, and the Mets needed it so much because 
you know, if you're going to come back those middle innings where, you know, your starter gets knocked out, that's where like, you're either going to throw, you know, he's just going to wear it and get sent down because we need it, or he's going to keep the Mets in the game. And, and he gave them a window to come back. They didn't clearly, but he gave them, he gave them an opportunity. Yeah. And that's, all you can ask for and more from from that position. So very commendable for Jake Reed. And, you know, on the other side of things, Justin Turner has the same thing of the team that let him go. Let's go tattoo him. So it was nice to get a little piece of that for us, too. But it was just the Dodgers bats killing us. Muncie had two home runs. Will Smith torched us again. In the end, uh, the position players took on the ninth inning. I really thought we were going to see J.D. Davis pitch for the first time. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Davis pitched in college and was pretty good. 2.94 ERA in 36 college games. But he didn't get into the game. It was Brandon Jury. Then Jury got shelled, so we put in Kevin Pillar, and Kevin Pillar has a zero ERA for the Mets now. It's one of the best ever. It's easy. He's e- it's pitching is easy. Yeah, it's easy. Clearly, you know. I'll give you a quick reason why we didn't see JD Davis. Why didn't we see him? He's too valuable. His he, you you don't want to you don't want him to get hurt. If it was like a big time game and we're we're close, you'll see him. I imagine if it's like a, a tie ball game and, and they they don't have anybody else to go. That's when you'll see JD Davis. But you you throw out those guys. It's the you know the last couple guys on the on the roster. But pitching is easy. Like clearly, Pilar showed it. Clearly demonstrated there. I mean, big league hitters, Dodgers, whatever. Yeah, doesn't even matter what the competition is. <laughs> but at the end of the series, the Mets go two for twenty nine with runners in scoring position. That's a dot zero six nine batting average. Uh, and they're last in the major leagues with sacrifice flies with thirteen. So just across the board, the the problems have resurfaced after this national series did you say 13 13 sacrifice flies wow that's 13 that's hard to do that's impressive to not have more than that in like i think we're we've played 117 games now 13 what was i'll give you one more chance for that batting average what was it zero six nine come on it's oh sixty nine oh six nine man oh sixty nine I was ready for I was ready to say nice, but it's not nice. To be honest, it's not nice. I was all, I had the nice. same exact thought. I was like, I could make a joke here, but it was better if it was like six ninety or three sixty. I know, but that's been the story, and it and it's the story of this whole series, our whole season is we're not hitting, especially with runners in scoring position. Even when they give us in extra innings a chance to have runners in scoring position that we don't earn, we didn't hit. And they showed heart. They fought. They, they kept the game close, but ultimately we got beat by a better team. They're better than us. Yeah. And they showed it. But the guys did show a sense of urgency, you know, that McCann talked about. They did show that these are games that you have to win. They didn't, but they fought a little bit. They got their they got it handed to them in the third game um, right off the bat with Cookie going down and, and getting getting lit up a little bit. But you got to let it go. You, you talk about that short, that short memory, yeah. the short-term memory. You got to let it go because today's game, on top of the the brutal schedule of being, you know, the primetime game move to a West Coast flight, all those things are not fun. Yeah. Um, but you deal with the you deal with it as it comes. And so you gotta look forward. You gotta you gotta be able to look at today and try to win a ball game today. Yeah. Um, luckily for you and me, we can talk about that series. And so you said you wanted to uh, get into Louis Rojas. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Let's do it. So th- this is especially difficult for me because um, I've seen, you know, there's always manager slander on whatever discussion of whatever team is going on social media. Cause that's just a given, you know, it's very easy to say this decision was bad in hindsight when you know what happened. Uh, and it, it's, it's much more fair to, you know, call decisions at the moment, regardless of what happens. 
I've been defending Rojas pretty much all year, especially basically solely because of what happened in May when this team turned in a very positive winning record with all those injuries and all those shifting lineups and all the players being sent down and sent to the injuries list and all that. I thought that Rojas did a commendable job of keeping the team tight-knit. Uh, and he's made questionable decisions before, uh, and I've overlooked them in a way, or I guess, you know, taking them with, in stride. But in this series, uh, playing against arguably the best team you've played against all season, there were just too many to ignore. I think Rojas, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, maybe you reverse some of these decisions and the Mets don't get swept because the Dodgers are a much better team than the Mets. It clearly showed. And the Mets have bigger problems to address, like the runners in scoring position, all those other things. But just to rattle off a few, uh, the biggest one for me was the starters getting benched in game one because it was made uh, obvious when they came back in that the, they needed to be in the whole time. Because as soon as they got back in, the Mets tied the game. And you have to wonder if, uh, you know, if McNeil and Dom Smith and Conforto start that game against Urias, um, maybe, you know, we put up more than four. Maybe we don't go to extras. Maybe we don't have that problem. You can say what if, whatever, but that was a big one to me. Uh, using Familia for a third straight day over Loop, that was pretty perplexing too. I know you wanted Loop for maybe game two and game three, especially with how depleted the bullpen is. But the way I looked at it was like, if you have an opportunity to, to secure a game, you have to do it. Uh, and if that means you burn game two and game three, whatever, because it's better to win one than get swept. Uh, so game one, a, a couple perplexing decisions. There were also some in, uh, in game three. Uh, one that I had a gripe with that I saw other people, you know, had a gripe with as well. He batted Carlos Carrasco uh, with two on and one out in the second inning uh, and then immediately pulled him the next inning uh, for Jake Reed. Love Jake Reed. Shout out Jake Reed. But pinch hitter probably should have been used there. And then uh, using Yenzi Diaz for a third straight day as well. I know the, the bullpen was a little strapped at the end there. You really had, Je you had Jeff Hartlieb and then position players. At that point, it looked like a foregone conclusion that the Dodgers were going to take this game and run away with it. So using Diaz the third straight day there didn't seem totally necessary to me. Again, it's a lot of ifs and buts and whatever. Um, but game one and game three, uh, there were a lot of things that I felt could have been done better by Rojas. I think this might've been no hyperbole, his worst series of the year. Um, it's fair. I mean, your, your, your arguments are fair. There's always stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about whether guys are dealing with, you know, little nagging injuries or there's stuff going on. We, we just don't know, but Rojas is the guy that makes those decisions and he stands and he takes the blame. That's what a good leader does. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't say, you know, well, uh, you know, McNeil's dealing with a, a little wrist. He was tender, didn't want to start or Conforto's had something going on. He doesn't, he doesn't put blame anywhere else. He'll take it. And that's fine. The one, the one that I saw was pitching Familia three consecutive days in that situation, especially that you already had loop up. That's the only one that I was like, you know, He's already warm. It's already going to be taxing on him. Just let him go out there and do his thing. Again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be critical because we don't know everything because that's not our, our, our job, but it, it's fair. This is what we do. You're a, you're a big league manager and you're allowed to have people talk about you. And so I'll, I'll let you take that. But for the most part, yeah. you know, there's just too many mitigating circumstances that we don't know. So I'll never be too critical on a manager in situations where you're like, mm, we could have done this. Right. And then you have to look at the flip side of everything too, with like, you know, maybe he wanted to, maybe this was the game where Pilar and Almora got things going because they started in game one, you know, and that's a completely different story then. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that they've just been bad at the plate since May. It's just, it hasn't really changed. Almora has looked better recently. He actually had a really good at bat where he worked a walk uh, in game one. And just at the end of the day, it, 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 game one will stick with me for a while. 
just because of the moments in that game, uh, how high the emotions were after they tied it, and how winnable that game felt. How much it felt like, you know, we were going to storm back and this was going to be a signature 2021 Mets win, and then it was just taken from us. Um, I know Familia is good in that situation for inducing ground balls with his sinker. I get that. You want to put the ball on the ground and, you know, have a play available so maybe that runner in second doesn't come in. But when you have a hitter like Will Smith, you have to know that he's reverse split. Same, same way that I always get on managers on opposing teams for not knowing that Dom kills lefties because that bit Dave Roberts in game one when Dom brought in a run um, and continued that rally. But you have to know that Will Smith crushes righties way more than he kills lefties. And you have to know that Aaron Loop has not allowed a run in a month and a half. And, you know, that's where you need him. You need him there so that you only have to just get a single or a ground ball and a fly ball to win that game. Um, so I, I, I think I'm nitpicking in game three a little bit, probably. It's just to, to pile on there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. It's fair game. This is this is baseball. This is a thing that we do. And all the all your arguments are legit arguments. But again, I don't I don't know what else is going on. But the the, the big one for me is I understand the lineup confusion and, and why you don't have your guys, because this is these are games that you have to win and you want to put your best guys in that opportunity to win. Yeah. You know, I get it, but um, I'll never second guess any of those decisions because I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I've been a part of really good teams that have the manager stand in front and wear it because he's taking it for the guys in the clubhouse. And and I don't know if that is or isn't happening, but I always assume that that's what's going on. And yeah, so I'll let you I'll let you speak your mind and, and I'll, I'll take a back seat here. We are a positive pod. I mentioned that many times and, uh, you know, yeah. looking, looking for the positives in this series is hard, but they are there. And I will say, you know, being a manager in baseball is the most thankless job in the sport that I can think of, because when you're winning, it's because of the players. And when you're losing, it's because of you and you have to answer all these questions and you can't throw anybody under the bus and all these things. And if your team doesn't perform, even though you're doing a good job, you get canned. They don't half the time. So it's a tough spot to be in. Even deeper, though, that's some of the decisions that the manager used to make, the front office makes nowadays. And so you, yeah. you're you just standing there as a middleman, just just wearing it. So it's a fakeless job, but it's a it's a job everybody wants. It's a dream. Louis Rojas is it will be a big league manager for a long time. I think he's good, but crit- criticism is fair. You can't you can't pretend and you can't be mad when people want to talk about what you do because that's what you do. It's fair. It's a fair game. Absolutely fair game. And yeah, I do agree. You know, Rojas, you know, he toiled in the minors for I think close to a decade, maybe even over, uh, with these minor leagues teams uh, managing and bench coaching and all that. So he's earned, you know, his keep. He's earned the right to be a manager in the major leagues. And I'm really glad he didn't get canned at the beginning of the season. And, you know, because, you know, Cohen was cleaning house. A lot of guys went that we had saw in the past regime. He kept Rojas. He believed in Rojas. And in May, that looked like a spectacular decision. But when it came to this series, it just kind of fell flat on its face in a lot of aspects. But there's only so much you can say there. You have to look forward. And we, we're a looking forward pod. What, did, what about the, the guys in the Bronx? They were talking about Aaron Boone getting fired so much. Now look at what the Yankees are doing. So I know. You never know. Louis Rojas can get these guys going. All of a sudden, the bats come alive. And he looks like the, the smartest man in baseball. And this is a this is a game of ebb and, ebb and flow. Right. And we are in uh, the Mets have put themselves in, you know, a situation of we got to win ball games now. And this is this is what happens. This is the the fruits of the labor that you put in. You know, you're reaping what you sow a little bit. And so 
here we are. It really is that way. Um, we're going to talk about the Probables in the San Fran series in a little bit. I wanted to bring some injury news to light because we got a lot of updates okay. uh, this weekend with the games going on. Just for those who don't know, the Mets are 12-17 and 17 since they lost uh, the titular captain of the team, uh, Francisco Lindor. Uh, and, you know, we've lost some other guys along the way, but that I seem, that seems to be, the, you know, the, the prevalent figure uh, that has started the Mets skid. Um, but the good news here is that, you know, Lindor has speeded up his recovery uh, considerably with his, uh, his right oblique. Uh, he could possibly eye a return uh, when the Mets return to City Field for their second series against the Giants, which is relatively soon, only in about a week. Uh, getting him back, uh, I don't know if he's going to be 100%. I would guess that he would be more closer to like 80%, and, you know, maybe we're just rushing him back because he's dying to get back. And, you know, we had talked about obliques. They're a dangerous game. You don't always want to rush them back, but I don't know if you saw. He was in full uniform I saw. on Sunday, which I thought was cool. And he was running the bases, taking some ground balls. I loved it. When If, he, if and when he's on the field, I expect him to be at 100%. Um, I expect to see him make all the plays that he makes. I expect him to, to hit at the plate. Because we need it, we need him to step up into that role. Um, he's gonna, he's going to push for him to be ready. He doesn't want to do rehab; he wants to get on the field. Um, and so, if you're going to push for that, you better, you better be ready to to play at that level. And so, I expect him to do that, as he does himself. Uh, just a little lightheartedness. I loved seeing him in full uni. Yeah, uh, he just wants to be in uniform, and I love that. That's a good feeling. That's when you see your your franchise player dress like that when you're out shagging BP and he's wearing a full uniform, it makes you, it brings up the the mood in, in the clubhouse a little bit just because you're like, this dude just wants to be on the field. We're playing a game. This is fun. I forgot. You know, sometimes when I was out shagging BP, I look because in, in when I'm pitching, it's always a pristine, you know, crispy white uniform. I look down, I was like, I don't even look like a ball player ever. So I'll just slide you know, shout out to Kevin Kirsten and the clubhouse guys for doing my laundry every once in a while, but you just need grass stains. This is a sport. This is fun. Yeah. We're playing a game and you see guy like Lindor wanting to wear the uniform. And it's a reminder that, that these guys really want to play and really want to win. Uh, and it's a fun game. And so uh, I love seeing Lindor do that. I love seeing him push for himself and advocate to get into this game without rehab. I hope it works. And, and he could be that spark plug that offense needs. Yeah, I mean, it's... Dire. Yeah, dire. That's a good word to put there. <laughs> and it is it is nice to see a guy that is just dying to get on the field to play for your team, especially when it's the guy, you know, making the most money on the team. Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to act that way when you lock down a 12-year contract. So it's, it's good to invest in a player like that. And, you know, when you get him back, if you get him back on this supposed schedule that they're lining out for us, you get him back for the 15 games of Nats and Marlins. And, you know, that's really where, you know, the Mets offense could hopefully reawaken and capitalize on those uh, those pitching staffs. Although the Marlins, you know, they pitch pretty well, but I'm more speaking in terms of records there, I guess. So yeah, they're, just saying, that they're saying that he's probably going to face live pitching this week, um, whether that's in rehab games or live batting practice. I would have to assume batting practice. That's my guess because I know they're trying to avoid rehab and get him back on the roster as close to uh, as possible, as, as soon as possible, I should say. Uh, and Rojas said they should have Lindor back in quotes sooner rather than later, which is good. Very encouraging. Hopefully that's not a farce uh, because on the other side of things, uh, it's not looking good for the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, he's been shut down again, uh, two more weeks. It's continued inflammation in his right arm and elbow. And this really is putting his season in jeopardy. And this, this is maybe cause I know we were almost, we were almost back. We were back to full strength for four innings in the pirate series. And then we lost Lindor and then the trickle effect after that. 
But these injuries, these two injuries, I think, feel way worse than everything that happened in May. And it's, I think it's showing with how the team has performed. Yeah. For me, the losing Lindor for this stretch, especially when he was starting to look like he was coming into form, that, that's a rough one because yeah. DeGrom being hurt, that's a, as good as DeGrom is. He, to me, he's the best player in baseball. You know, Shohei is making an argument because he's doing it on both sides of the ball. So is DeGrom. But DeGrom, every fifth day, every fifth day, you're going to get to see the best, the best performance of, of any position uh, in any job. There's nobody better at their job than Jacob DeGrom. Hard to agree. And it's been a hole, but you can play around with that if you have guys step up. You just have to assume as a fan, as somebody that has nothing going on, that we're not going to see DeGrom at all. You just have to, if we get him, it's a bonus and and that's it Lindor I expect to get back and and we need him and so yeah our offense is what's been crushing what's been killing us and we need offense and that's where his his spark his push comes in and and no matter how many times you get Jacob deGrom if you can't hit you can't hit you're not going to win a ball game so you can't win zero to zero and we proved that in game two by losing two to one there yeah. yeah, and yeah, as, as as good as the pitchers you're going to get, you still got to hit. And so that's that's where we need to do. We need to start hitting. Yeah, and it's it, it's tough because as much as I want to see DeGrom get a couple more starts and it maybe etch his way back into that Cy Young consideration, the last thing you want to see is an injury pop up again and then you lose him for time in 2022. So if it means he's got to be shut down completely so you have him next season, so be it. The Mets pitching has honestly been holding up okay outside of that rough cookie performance. Uh, you know, they went toe-to-toe with one of the toughest offenses in the league. The bullpen obviously has been great, but, you know, McGill shoved. He, he was really impressive in those five innings. And, of course, Taiwan Walker really bouncing back in a huge way, which, you know, we're, we're a big Taiwan Walker pod. We've been talking about him nonstop Beautiful. pretty much every episode we've had. So that was, that was very fulfilling. He's proven us right, too, because every time we talk about him looking better and, and, and getting back to form, he's done that. And so now he's he's – you know, it's going to be hard to top that start. You know, maybe he gives up just a double off the wall instead of the homer. But, um, you know, it was big for him. Pitching's been good. The bullpen has been elite like it always has been. You know, we lose Drew Smith. That was a tough loss. But you had Jake Reed come up and pitch three, you know, huge innings for us. Low leverage. You know, those aren't Drew Smith. Those aren't Drew Smith innings where the game's on the line. But th- that kept kept the, the Mets in the, with a chance to, to come back. You touched on uh, Drew Smith getting IL. That's right shoulder inflammation, so the Mets are going to have to look for some fresh arms. I'm thinking they're going to do some shuffling anyway just because of how taxed the bullpen is right now. Uh, you could be seeing the return of Franklin Colome. Hope I'm saying that right. I think we saw him a little bit in 2020. He's actually on the Mets prospect list still. Yeah, Kilome. Kilome. Apologies. Jared knows best. Yeah, he's, he's, he was one of the few guys where I'm standing next to him, and he's like... Big dude. But he's so big. Yeah. One of the nicest humans on the planet, too. The Mets um, bullpen it's good to is see him. tall, guys. All of them. He's huge. Yeah. Miguel Castro. Yeah, Trevor May with the shoulders like that. Loop is a bigger guy than, than it looks when you see him in person. We just got some monsters out there. Familia's a, a giant. You yourself, too. I mean, don't cut yourself. Some, you got to cut yourself some slack. I'm not out there. I'm, I'm just I'm sitting spring in my, training, my chair at home. Come on. Oh, spring training. I'll take that. Yeah, I was there. I added to some height. Not really size, but I'll, I, I added height and volume with this hair too we should just put all you guys on an nba team who knows how well you do i don't know five centers out there just run them out and see what happens <laughs> there apparently is going to be a move to bring up a lefty uh, andrew mitchell from triple a he's had a rough go of it but he looks like he's a fresh arm so the mets are probably just going to use him 
seen a couple innings uh, in the back end of a game. I have no idea who that is. I have no idea who that I, is. I did a quick little research. Is he already on the on the roster? I believe I think he's on the taxi squad now. So he oh, could okay. be uh, coming up in San Fran. We don't know yet. Um, there's yeah. a lot of things in the air still. Hopefully we'll get some news today. And then uh, still no timetable on Javi Baez. I'm assuming it might just be the 10-day minimum. Hopefully those back spasms cease so we can get him back in the lineup. Because, you know, you're, you're looking at potentially getting Baez and Lindor back at the same time, which could be a huge boost for the team. Uh, I've, I'm really hoping that those synchronize. I think that, that could be a, like a huge moment for the Mets lineup. Yeah, that would be, I mean, again, these are all, This is, we're at this territory in the season where we're hoping and praying for things to happen. We're looking for magic. And if there ever was some, El Mago is the magician. So we're looking for that magic Lindor to step up and, and be the, the guy that they signed. Um, it's a tall ask, but we need that now. We're looking for those miracles to happen. And, and hopefully that's the spark we need. You know, what, whoever comes up and, and fills in that bullpen depth, Hopefully we don't see and need them to be in a, in a huge position because that's not, you know, that's probably the game isn't going great for us at that point. Um, but gosh, we're, we're in, we're in desperation now. Um, we got this stretch coming up. Do you want to preview first or do we want to kind of get a sketch of where we're at? We'll do some, we'll do some previews. So Mets are taking the, they took the red eye. Uh, they're in San Francisco. They have no day off and they're going right toe to toe with the best team in the National League, the San Francisco Giants, for three games at Oracle Park. Game one uh, is going to be a tough ask already for the Mets because they're going toe-to-toe with Kevin Gosman, who's having his best year of his career, 11-5, 2.29 ERA there. Uh, one note I made that I saw in the uh, probables and projections is that Kevin Pilar actually has a decent bit of experience against Gosman, uh, 35 at-bats, so 371 batting average. I know most of that came when Gosman was an Oriole and Pilar was a Blue Jay, but Point stands that I think if you're going to get him into a game, it should be this one. You should play the one where he has experience against the guy. Gosman's a different pitcher now. We've obviously seen that. He's been, you know, elevated this season by the Giants. Um, but I think you'll probably see Pilar in the lineup tonight. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Uh, and, you know, Gosman has slowed up a little bit. This could be you know, a, a spot for the Mets to capitalize. He has a 5.16 ERA in his last five starts. The two quality starts he has in that span both came against the Diamondbacks, which, you know, Diamondbacks aren't mm-hmm. playing good baseball this year. But shout out to their recent no-hitter, uh, which was pretty cool. That was awesome. And against the Padres. The guy made his first career start against the Padres and throws a, a no-hitter. Pretty amazing. Um, just a quick note on, on Gosman. He's kind of like done what Taiwan Walker did, and he had an amazing first half, like the best of his career, and then came out a little bit rocky, and he's done the same thing. He started to pitch well. You'll see a theme in these matchups. Uh, Gosman, Logan Webb, Anthony DiScalfani, all these guys are having career years. These guys are pitching the best they've ever had. And that says something to what the Giants are doing over there. So I'll, I'll let you get back into the matchups, though. Yeah, only thing I was going to feed off that point, actually. This is the most innings yeah. pitched for Gosman since 2018. So he's having a similar issue to, to Walker. But, you know, we saw Walker turn around last start. Doesn't mean Gosman is going to be easy fodder for the Mets lineup. And I think most Mets fans know that because nothing comes easily for the Mets lineup. Uh, in game two, this is looking like another one to possibly win. We got Marcus Stroman on the bump again, which is nice. We mentioned, we sang his praises last time. He goes toe-to-toe with Logan Webb, who really uh, came out of nowhere this year. His ERA is under three right now. He's back in the Giants rotation. He bounced between the bullpen and rotation, so he's been awesome this year for them. Just like most of their pitchers, really. You could say that for pretty much any Giants player. You can say this for their, their entire team. So this is what they're, this is what the, I, I'll jump out of it. I'm going to, I'm going to go. This is the Giants are what we want it to be. So they have they have big names. They have, 
you know, Buster Posey playing great, Longoria, uh, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, their big guys are doing amazing. And they have guys like Wilmer Flores who are, are playing amazing roles that they signed. But every single guy that they have, they have grit. They have young people contributing. Their bullpen is fantastic. Their starters are, are elevated to their best they've ever had. The Giants are an image of what the Mets wanted to be. And they're to me, they're better than the Dodgers. They may not look like it on paper, but if you look at their record, there's a reason. They play the style of baseball that the Mets need to play moving forward. And where it was with the Dodgers series, you know, you got to get to the bullpen to make runs. You're, we're going to have to get to their starters because their bullpen's been so great. We're facing three guys in, in Gosman, uh, Logan Webb, Andy Sclafani, who are having the best years of their career. But this is new territory. They're all pitching more now than they have. Um, Logan Webb, I think, threw 100 innings and 18 was his most or something like that. That was with a five ERA, too. So And he's and he's dealt with some injuries. This is his first year where he's really established himself as a big leaguer. Um, he's hopped on the back. Cueto's uh, on the IL right now, and but he's learning from some of the best minds, their coaching staff in San Francisco, having been there in, in spring training, they they're really, really good and, and a strong knit unit. Uh, they're everything that we wanted to be this year. Um, and it's time for us to step up and battle them. But we got, we got to face them seven times coming up, just like the Dodgers. It's time to show who we are and, and don't roll over because we're going to show them that even if we lose, we got to show them that we're, we're going to fight. Otherwise, they're going to bully us for these next seven games. I don't think there's a thing that the Giants don't do well. It's a very sound roster. The guys behind those big names that are carrying the slack, too. And, you know, the Mets praised depth in the offseason. Depth is what carried us to where we are now, but the depth hasn't been pulling its weight as much since. So if that is a spot that the Mets can come through on in this series, that I think that'll be huge. And, you know, you got to it's, – sometimes it's just one big inning. We saw one big inning against the Dodgers – if you can get one big inning going and get these starters out of the game, that'll be huge. Yeah, rally, man. You got you to gotta hit. You got to hit. You got to hit with runners in scoring position. This is a big ballpark we're going to. Um, I don't know. It used to be Oracle Field. What is it now? It's like AT&T Park. It was Oracle AT&T now. Park. Now it's Oracle. Okay. It's big. And you can't, you're not going to, you can't look to always hit the big home run. You just got to put the barrel on the ball. And I think that's the approach that the Giants take. And we need to push that. City Field plays big mostly. And so we showed our grit in first and second game of Dodgers and, and we showed some fight. We just need to continue to play good baseball. You don't have to win every game now. You have to win the games that you can. And that's why those first two games in the Dodgers series hurt. But you have to win the, the games that come your way. We, we need to tread some water to get to September. September is where it gets down. We got to push through these this big, tough series, this 13-game stretch where we're playing you know, the best teams in baseball. We got to be able to make it to September where we are now, two and a half games back, three games back, maybe even get up because the Phillies and, and the Braves are doing the same thing. They're going to play a similar schedule. We just got to, we got to stay within punching distance. You got to be able to, to, to strike back. There's a lot of games left. There's no need to panic, but there's panic in a sense that you have to be able to hit. Losing a game isn't the last, but if you don't show the capability to win games, that's different. And as bad as that Sunday game felt where we just got trounced, the first two games were a big indicator for me that this team has some fight left in them. So I'm excited. 
Yeah, I think if you if you win one of those games, maybe Sunday turns out a little bit closer, a little bit less deflating. Um, and yeah, you you had mentioned you know you just have to tread water. I even think if the Mets are like four back because you know the Braves have been four back, the Phillies have been four back. You have that fifteen game stretch with those two bottom two uh, teams in the NL East. You can really make up serious ground there because you know that after after this stretch, you know the Braves and Phillies they return to a normal schedule playing competitive teams. So it's just, can you not get swept? Can you win one? Can you take two? Uh, that Can you split the four-game sets uh, while you're at Dodger Stadium and at home? It's going to be a big test. I also wanted to say, I saw this on Twitter today, uh, the Mets have now set the record for the longest stretch uh, without a triple. I think it's 65 games. But now you're going to Oracle Park and you got triples alley. So Triples alley. Yeah. Who's going to get it? Who's your guy? If you had to put money on it. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, okay, who's going to hit? Who's gonna snap the streak? If I had to guess, I think Nimmo, right? I feel like that, I think Nimmo would probably get it. That's fair. He might he might try to stretch a walk into a triple by sprinting it out. That's true. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I don't know what the lineup is gonna look like. I'm gonna throw if Pilar's facing Gosman today. Pilar played a really big role for their team in in San Francisco. He's familiar with it, and the guy plays you know with the gas pedal down, and so I think he he's my guy. That's a that's a that's a tough pick. That's a that's a a good odds. So if I hit, that's like, you know, 50 to one because he's not a regular player, but uh, that's my guy. Yeah. I like that pick a lot. That's pretty good. You use my, uh, my, my little bit of research there. I appreciate that. Hey, that's what we're doing. I, I jump on your back. You carry the team and then I'll, I'll just, you know, you, you, you set them up. I'll knock them down. I like it. Yeah. So game three, you mentioned before Anthony Disclefani is going to face off against Tyler McGill. Uh, I found this in the probables as well. Uh, Michael Conforto, JD Davis, Tomas Nito, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Brandon Drury, Jeff McNeil, and Pete Alonzo are a combined two for 27 against Anthony Disclafani. So I think really if you're Rojas, maybe throw in some of the guys that have never faced him before. Because even when Disco wasn't having the best years of his career, he was stymieing these Mets hitters. And, you know, we mentioned before, McGill really impressed with that gutsy Dodgers outing last time. He's going to need to have another one here. Yeah, we're, we're going to need, a, you know, we talked about it in Washington, and you had mentioned that you think the, the pitchers, the starters need to get a little deeper. I, I disagreed with that, but now we're, we're in that territory where our bullpen is taxed. We have, we have a lot of guys that have thrown multiple innings, tons. We're going to need to have our starters, you know, do what, do what uh, McGill did the first game and, and go five solid. You know, he, he stretched it. He went to his limit. He did a good job. Get us five, stay in the ball game. Cause we're going to need to keep those big guys in the bullpen for games that we're winning. We can't just have these guys throw in games that don't matter because our starters got whacked around and all the other guys in the bullpen are taxed too. And we'd have to throw, you know, Trevor may when we're down four or Aaron loop in a game or we're down five, those are the heartbreaking innings because you waste those guys in, in situations where it's just mop up duty. And those are, those are disheartening for a team as a whole, because then you just waste their talents. And then they're in those games where you're in the 10th inning and now you got to throw out your 25th man or the guy that just got called up in a situation where it's a, it's a win or lose. And, and those are heartbreaking. Anthony Banda in Cincinnati just had to put him That's out there. It. Had to put him out there and then it costs you. And so you want, you want to save those guys. So our, our starters really need to give us five, six, you know, maybe even Stroman to push seven, eight, out of uh, our guy there, that's a that's a that's a big ask for us uh, for anybody, especially you know I forgot to mention they got Chris Bryant now too, and so they have a deep lineup. Um, but we need our we need our starters to step up to take a little bit of 
pressure off those back end bullpen guys. And we need our, we need our hitters to take some stress off themselves and off the bullpen because you don't have to be perfect anymore. If you can just put some runs on the board and let guys take a deep breath back there. So there's a, there's a lot going on. It's not, it's not do or die on every game anymore, but you do have to start winning some ball games and, and showing your heart. So can't get swept again. That's the whole can't get mantra. Swept. Can't get swept. Yeah. Uh, actually, I disagree. I don't, I, you can get swept. <laughs> you can, you can still get swept because then you're, you're only down another one game. So, I mean, worst comes to worst. We lose three games here and the Braves and Phillies win three games and we're down five and a half games. That's not the end of the world with, 30 games to go it does suck and it feels terrible and we're calling for everyone to get fired you want stevie going to sell the team like by that time but you don't have to win these games yet it's not there just mathematically speaking nobody in that bullpen or nobody in that will panic if they get swept they will start to put the pressure on because you're gonna get you're gonna keep burying yourself but none of these games are must win yet this is the the luxury of playing in baseball. You can feel however you want to feel as a fan, as a as a as a supporter of a team, as people that get to break these games down for a living. I just want to make sure that you realize that this isn't a must win, but this is games that you need to win. That's why you're you, if every game you lose, you're digging yourself a little bit deeper, and your climb has to be that much steeper. And so the, they're going to hurt, but they're not must win yet. I just wanted to put that frame in front of us a little bit. I can respect it coming from a former Met who's been in the trenches, he's been in these races. I respect it. But if I said that, I think I'm dead tomorrow. But I think that's it. I think that they're coming That's for me. okay. Again, you can you can bury me. I I don't care. Like I I've if they get swept by the best team in baseball, by the Giants, it's okay. They got to play them again. You can't lose every game now, but you do have to start putting together quality baseball. They, they should have or could have won two out of three against the Dodgers and didn't. That's why it hurts. And so we're not in have to win every game territory, but we're getting close. And, and you're about to see through this tough stretch who, who guys really are. Uh, but it, it, this every game isn't the end of their season. They can still miracles happen. I was a part of a team in 2012 in Oakland that we made a run. We won the division on the last day of the season. So it's possible. You can do things all the way through September, but you don't want to bury yourself too deep now. Well, you mentioned the 2012 season and going back and looking on happier memories. I like today's, this day in Mets history, because it also blends into Jock and Jerry's memory. It's a two-for-one oh. special here on Chase Station, baby. I, I hope you're going in a certain direction, because this is a big day for me. You are. It is a... Thank you. Know you. Exactly let's, let's bring what it. I'm going to talk about. If, uh, so if you haven't heard about it yet, on this day in 2018, August 16th, the Mets set the club record for uh, most runs, 24, and most hits in a nine-inning game with 25. Jose Bautista drove in seven rounds. Remember when he was a Met? Ahmed Rosario and Kevin Pilecki both had four-hit games. They came against Philly. It was a fun day. Corey Oswalt got the win. But the biggest story of that game that people are still talking about three years later. It's big news. It's, it's huge news. It's earth-shattering, I'd even argue. Jerry Blevins comes in with that scoreless inning of a relief and then also steps up to bat. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. What were you going to say? I missed it. Go ahead and say that well, again. I was going to say that you stepped up to bat. You got your first major league hit off Scott Kingery and first major league RBI to make it a 21-4 to game. 
He went one for four in his career. This was the lone hit, but it was glorious. I'll tell you what, I am one for one in my career with runners in scoring position. I'll put it, I'll put it to the you Mets that way. The could use you right now, man. They really this could. This is the, I, you can't see it. Uh, it's the, this is the bat that I use. No way. Yeah, for um, those listening on Spotify and Apple right now, Jerry's got the helmet going. He's got the ball. He's got the bat. This is the ball. This isn't the helmet. I stole this from spring training. Again, one more shout out to Kevin Kirst. Um, he got this authenticated for me. He's the, the Mets clubhouse manager. Wonderful man. Um, big shout out for him getting me this. He got me a bunch of things throughout my career there for, for myself and those, those small accolades. But this one, this one feels different. You get a big league hit. You know, this is, this is a big day for me. Uh, I love it. Do I look the part now? I got the hair going. I think the hair, I almost mistook you for DeGrom, honestly, with the bat in your head and everything. <laughs> it really, you look just like him from the side there. I'm going to gently set this down real quick. Hold on. So yeah, that was a big day for Jerry, big day for Mets baseball. And you know, 24 runs in a game. It sounds like it must've been 10 years ago at this point, but. I'm going to finish this out with this helmet on. Just, this is, this is, I'm, I'm not only am I, you know, just showing how amazing it is. Can we just say that the coolest thing in the big leagues is the one ear flap? I have no idea why that makes any sense, why it was a design to begin with, but it seriously, I put on like the the double ear flap and you feel like a little eager. Oh yeah. This I feels like the big leagues. Like they, they were mandatory when I used to play, like you couldn't do one mm -hmm. flaps, you weren't allowed to. I think the only Met I can like remember wearing the two flap was like Willie Harris way back in like 2010 or something, way, way back. There's there's another guy who's, uh, Jed Lowry is a double ear oh, flap yeah. guy. He's a switch hitter. He's a switch hitter. He did have, well, how many at-bats do you have? Is it Matt two? I think. Eight. Three? Eight? Oh, okay. But he's a double ear flap guy, and I made fun of him every single day because I'd be like, dude, the, you, I get it because it's, you know, you slide in head first. You're exposed on this side. Uh, Shin Su Chu was a double ear flap guy. I didn't make fun of him because he's, he's a heck of a player. And I hit him. Like, I didn't hit many guys in my career. I smoked him in the back, like, a couple of times because you have to get him in there. You guys got and I was just like. So no, no, I, he's a, he's a very kind and, and good person. I just was like, uh, sorry, if you didn't have the double ear flap, I probably would have missed you, but oh, you're a so target you're targeting now. Him. <laughs> no, this is, this is, this is, uh, I mean, it's just the coolest. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was our, uh, our full episode of Shea station. Number three, not the most positive pod we've been, but definitely, uh, got an optimistic outlook going. Got to have some fun memories at the end, which was nice. It's it's time. It's time, Mets. Let's start hitting. Let's start. Let's start surprising. Dig yourselves out of the hole. You love having a chip on your shoulder. Let's go, boys. Let's go, boys. Yeah. So for John Boy Media, I'm Jolly. I'm Jerry. And we will see you on the next episode of the Shea Station coming out this Thursday. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time. All right. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck out there on the West Coast. Alonso to his left. Flip to the ground and the ball game is over.